Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. We hope you'll discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. What's up, Liquid Church? Happy summer, guys, whether you're online or in person. So happy that you're here for our new series, Stuff Jesus Never Said. Now, obviously, Jesus said a lot of wise things in the Bible, but have you noticed lately it seems like he's been saying a lot on social media too? Popular lies such as God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Have you ever seen a bumper sticker with that? Or memes that say, follow your heart. Sounds good. Or how about this one? You know, God helps those who help themselves, just like Jesus said, you know? Or what about what goes around comes around? Actually, that's karma, not grace. So for the next few weeks, we're going to be opening the Bible to see what did Jesus actually say and what's just popular opinion or fake news. And today I flew in one of my very good friends from San Diego, Pastor Zach Taylor, to kick us off. Now, Pastor Zach flew in with his wife, Casey, and their nine-month-old girl, Winter. Um, They are an incredible family. And Zach is a great friend of Liquid. He's a dynamic storyteller, one of my very favorite preachers. So would you give a big, warm, liquid welcome to my friend and brother, Pastor Zach Taylor, come on out, Zach. Great to have you, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Love you. Love How we doing, at Liquid Church? It is so good to be here with you. I want to give a shout out to all of our locations, as well as everyone that's watching online. We're so glad that you're here with us today. If you are watching at home, let us know where you're tuning in from. Can you guys help me welcome those people into the house today? Uh, man, we're glad you're with us. Uh, like Tim said, my name is Zach, and it's been nearly a year since I was here last. And it is so nice to be back. I've been watching from afar for the last year, and it makes my heart just full to be back here with you in person. God is just doing some big things here in New Jersey through you and through this church. And it's just an honor to be here with you. It's especially an honor because we're jumping into a new series called Stuff Jesus Never Said. And I'm really excited about this series because the whole thrust of it is that words really matter. I know the, the moment that I learned how meaningful words could really be. So I was teaching at a junior high retreat and I was speaking on gratitude. And in that season, um, I was definitely going through a rough patch in life. I was on stage talking about being grateful, but my heart was anything but there. I was feeling underappreciated in my job. My relationships were strained overall. It was just a down season for me, but I was doing everything that I could for these students. So I planned out a big, huge object lesson for them. At the beginning of the night, I'd passed out a note card to every single student. And at the end of my message, I I challenged each of them to practice their gratitude in a really hands-on way. So I gave them five minutes and instructed them to write a thank you card to someone that they were grateful for. It didn't have to be much, But the catch is that they had to give that card to the person when they got home from the retreat. The teaching went super well. The students responded really well. And we started to move on to the next activity for the retreat. And as I started to walk off stage, I saw one of the junior high students kind of beelining his way over to me. I slowed down. I turned my attention to him. And that's when it happened. He reached out. And in his hand, I saw it. It was a card. And then he said the words that I'll I'll just never forget. He said, you're the one I'm thankful for. Have you ever been in a moment where you just heard the exact words that you needed to hear? 
this kid. He had no clue what I was walking through. He had no idea how much I needed those words. He was just sharing his gratitude towards me. Words matter, don't they? I held it together for just a brief second. I started to feel my eyes watering. So I turned around to hide the tears. And I turned around and faced my wife for a second. And she's, she's looked at me really confused. She'd witnessed the whole thing. And she saw me crying. She's like, why are you crying? And through these tears, I kind of gasped out to her. And I said, I'm the one he's thankful for. And she looked back at me and she said, that's not what he said. He said, I found this on the floor. <laughs> Words matter, don't they? And my fear is that sometimes we do this exact same thing to Jesus. You see, the Bible is packed full of incredible teachings and truth straight from the mouth of Jesus. But what I found is that it's sometimes easier to hear what we want to hear, isn't it? It can be easy to listen to the things that we like and ignore the things that we don't like. In fact, sometimes instead of allowing Jesus' words to speak for themselves, we'll hear our own voice or even our culture's voice. And if we're not careful, Jesus ends up looking, talking, and acting a whole lot like us. We can end up creating God in our image. Paul, one of the writers of the New Testament, he, he actually warns us of this exact practice. And here's what he says in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. He says that the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine and that instead they're going to suit their own desires. They're going to gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside instead to myths. Here's what I know is that words matter and Jesus's words matter the most. So can we make a commitment as a church over the next few weeks to listen intently, not with itching ears, but with listening ears to what Jesus has to teach us. And to do that, what we're going to do is actually look at some of the things Jesus didn't say. Some of the things that maybe sound Christian, maybe even sound like they could have been said by Jesus, but actually weren't. And it's my hope that as we do that, we can begin to unlock Jesus's true words, words that really matter. Are you with me? Excellent, because this topic is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I am in San Diego and West Palm for part of the year. And very people know, very few people know this about me, but I actually grew up in the South, in Texas of all places. Uh, and do we have any Texans in the house? We know they aren't in here because if they were here, they'd be super loud right now. Uh, but one thing I do know about the South is that, boy, we have a lot of Christian sayings, sayings that I grew up believing in wholeheartedly as if they came from the mouth of Jesus himself. It turns out that most of them just came from my Southern mom and more than likely her mama before that. I'll tell you what I mean. Maybe you grew up hearing some of these yourself, things like cleanliness is next to godliness. Uh, can I just tell you that the quickest way to put the fear of God into your junior hire who hasn't showered in two weeks is to tell him his eternal soul rests on his personal hygiene habits. It's effective for sure, but it's not in the Bible at all. Um, shout out to my mom. Thanks, mom. I've been showering daily ever since. Another Southern favorite of mine is bless your heart. Now, this is a pretty versatile one. Um, my parents went around blessing everyone's heart. And I thought as a kid, man, my, my parents, they're just saints handing out blessings left and right to all of our friends and family behind their backs. Um, turns out bless your heart isn't the highest compliment one can pay their Southern friends 
Also, Jesus never went around blessing nobody's heart. It's not in the Bible at all. But my favorite Southern saying of all is this one. It is God bless Texas. And this one actually is 100% true. It's got to be in the Bible somewhere straight from the mouth of Jesus to our ears. Can I get an amen? Any Texans in the house? None at all. Okay. You guys wouldn't believe how well that joke would land in Texas. It's a huge one. And we laugh because some of the Christian sayings that we hear and maybe even believe are kind of cute. They're oftentimes really funny. But here's what I also know. Some of us have walked through life hearing and believing things about God that are just really harmful and hurtful. Maybe you were told the lie that God's disappointed in you, that he's mad at you, or even frustrated with you. I'll tell you what I mean. I, I had a student, his name was Austin. When he was about three or four years old, his parents divorced. And over the next two or three years, they were in a really ugly and heated custody battle. It was Christmas Eve one year when he was about eight years old and his mom had custody for the holiday and they had just decorated the Christmas tree to celebrate it. As the de decorations were wrapping up, Austin's mom stepped out of the house to walk down the street really quickly, just around the corner to go buy some hot cocoa for Austin. And Austin didn't know it at the time and neither did his mother, but Austin's dad was a high ranking police officer and he had called in a favor with his buddies to have mom's house staked out that night, just hoping that she would make a mistake and that he would get custody back. The officers waited until mom crossed the threshold of the doorway back in the house, hot cocoa in hand. And it was at that moment that they swarmed. And through tears in his eyes, Austin watched the Christmas tree get knocked over, the fresh decorations flying everywhere. He watched his mom get tackled to the floor and escorted away from him in handcuffs. And then on Christmas Eve, he took a ride in the police car back to the police station to wait for another relative to come and pick him up. And as he sat there waiting, a lie deep in his heart began to take seed, a lie that said, I was the one that asked my mom to go get the cocoa. I practically begged her to do this. This happened because of me. If I hadn't kept asking and bugging her, everything would be fine right now. I'm just so selfish. There must be something wrong with me. I'm just a disappointment. And this lie that Austin would eventually carry for most of his life took root in that moment. And all of us sitting here in this room hear that story. And we immediately want to speak over Austin. That's not true. Don't believe it. Don't carry that lie. Our, our hearts ache for this little boy because we know what it's like to walk through life carrying around the weight of a lie like that. But for so many of us, I believe this is the same view that we have of our heavenly father, that because of what we've done and the mistakes that we've made, God must be disappointed in, in us. That because of what's been done to us, the negative circumstances that we've experienced, that God must not care. Maybe you grew up in a church like I did, a church that taught you that unless you straightened up, God was just gonna punish you for what you've done. I don't know where you might've picked it up, but I do know this. It's something that deep down all of us wrestle with on some level. In fact, if you tore all the way through the scriptures, this is one of the most consistent themes of wrestling for so many biblical characters. They're all wrestling with whether or not God's disappointed in them. All the way back to Adam and Eve, you have them eating the forbidden fruit and immediately they feel like they're naked. They're ashamed. They need to hide from God in the garden. Why? Because they feel like they've disappointed him. You fast forward 
You have the story of Abraham and Sarah, the eventual mother and father of the entire nation of Israel. And they cry out to God year after year after year after year during their struggle with infertility. And they're wondering, what have we done to cause God to not bless us with a child? What have we done? We must have upset God somehow that these bad things are happening to us. Even David, the man after God's own heart in Psalm 22, literally cries out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in this moment of weakness, there's this thought, this fear, this belief in him that maybe now he's gone too far. Maybe now he's made too many mistakes. And maybe now God is done with him. And here's what I think, if we're honest, this belief, God must be disappointed in you, something that we have all bought into in some way. But here's the problem, is that that's just stuff that Jesus never said. So today, instead, can we take a look at what he actually did say? There's this moment in Acts 9 where the author, Luke, recounts the very last bodily appearance of Jesus on earth. It's the last time in person that we hear Jesus speak on this earth. And he meets a man named Saul on the road. We're going to pick up the story of that encounter in Acts 9. We're going to start in verse 1. And here's what Luke writes. He says, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there belonging to the way, that's just another way of saying Christians. If we find any Christians along the way, whether men or women, it doesn't matter, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And pause in the story really quickly here. And before we can get into Jesus's actual words to Saul, I think we need a bit of background on who this man is. When Luke says Saul was breathing out murderous threats to Christians, he's actually letting Saul off the hook quite a bit. See, Saul's responsible for so much more than just murderous threats. If you go back just a couple of chapters to Acts 7, you'll see what I mean. I'll let you read it for yourself, but here are the cliff note versions of it. Luke tells us that there's a Christian man named Stephen that was teaching Jesus's real words to the people. Saul and the other religious leaders were so jealous and angry and offended by these words that they sentenced Stephen to death by stoning. Excuse me. And we're told that Saul not only approved of this killing, but actually held the garments of those who participated and threw the stones themselves. And when we read those words today, I think a little bit of lostness happens in the 2000 years of translation. I'll tell you what I mean. When we think about stoning, you probably think of like someone picking up a small pebble off the ground and and just kind of like, tossing it across the room. I'm like, man, I did that to girls in third grade when I liked them. Um, No big deal. But if you open up the context to what stoning actually was, it was one of the most graphic and brutal and terrifying ways to kill a person. Jewish writers over the years documented with extreme detail the process. The first step was to find a cliff or a hole in the ground. And the accused would be shoved down into that hole or cliff. And the height of this fall was very important. It couldn't be too tall, otherwise the accused would be rendered incapacitated. It also couldn't be too short either, otherwise they might escape. So a height would be chosen that would be just enough to break the legs of the accused, but not high enough to cause major bodily damage. From there, members of the community, starting with the witnesses of the crime, would grab rocks and not little tiny small pebbles. No, the instructions were given to grab the largest boulder that you could place over your head, whatever the largest boulder you place over your head. And the instructions were to go to the edge of the cliff and then to drop it down on top of the accused. And from there, the next member of the community would follow suit over 
and over and over again until every single member of the community had dropped their boulders or until the person was killed, whichever came first. I can see in this room some faces of horror, horrified looks all throughout the room. And that was exactly the point of stoning in biblical times. It was a violent tool of political fear to warn anyone else in the community of what would happen to them if they committed the same act. And for better or worse, throughout history, the Jewish elite were excellent at harnessing this fear-based weapon to achieve their ideological and political goals throughout the people. So when Luke says that Saul held the garments of the men who threw the stones, he's saying that Paul is taking the legal responsibility for every single stone that is dropped on top of Stephen. And when Luke says that Paul or Saul approved of the stoning, the actual language doesn't say the word approve. It says that he gleefully approved. He took joy in seeing Christians tortured and he took even more joy in seeing the fear his acts of violence caused. And this methodology was so effective that Luke said that the entire church was scattered that day as as it was no longer safe for them to meet together. So when we get to our text in Acts 9, this is the person that's heading to Damascus. This is who's coming after Jesus's church. So let me be super clear with who we're dealing with here. Saul is a religious zealot committing political acts of violence against men, women, and children with the goal of inciting fear and hatred towards a specific people group. Over the last 20 years in America, we've become very familiar with that sort of description, haven't we? That's who's riding down this road to Damascus. That is who Jesus is about to meet. Listen carefully to what Jesus has to say to them. We're gonna pick it up in verse three. As Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, you're a murderer. No, he didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, Saul, Saul, you're a murderer. He didn't say, Saul, Saul, I'm done with you. And in fact, I'm going to call down lightning from heaven. He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, I hate you. He doesn't say, I saw your browser history last week. I saw what kind of mom you were to your kid. I saw the way you treated and cheated your business partner. He doesn't say, Saul, bless your heart. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you, why do you persecute me? And most importantly, notice he doesn't say to Saul, 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 God must be disappointed in you. He says, why do you persecute me? And when he says those words, Paul responds back with just confusion. We're going to continue in verse five. Saul asks, who are you, Lord? And watch what Jesus says. He says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Meet me right now. I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. There's so much power in the actual words of Jesus here. If there's anyone on the planet that God would be disappointed in, it would be Saul. If there was anyone for Jesus to be mad at, it was Saul. It doesn't get any worse than this man. And yet Jesus is more interested in meeting Saul than in being mad at Saul. And so wherever you're at right now, please, please, please catch this right now. If you don't get anything else today, listen to these words. If Jesus is willing to do something like this for someone like Saul, how much more would you be willing to do it for someone like you? Another way of saying it is, 
God's not mad at you. He just wants to meet you. God's not mad at you. He just wants to meet you. So can I speak some truth over you right now? Just hear these words. God wants to meet you. If you walked in here feeling the weight of your mistakes, he wants to meet you. If you walked in here doubting your faith or, or searching for answers, he wants to meet you. If you're like, you, you've gone too far, he wants to meet you. If you're sinful, if you're broken, if you're hopeless, if you're ready to give up, if you looked in the mirror and feel like a mistake, if you feel like you've disappointed God, let me tell you this, welcome home. This place is for you. This church is for you. Our God is for you. And Jesus wants to meet you right here, right now in this place. Are you with me? And do you want to know what a meeting with Jesus looks like? It looks like an eight-year-old sitting in a police station on Christmas Eve after watching through tears in his eyes, a Christmas tree being knocked over and his mom being handcuffed on the floor. And as he's waiting for someone to come and pick him up, Austin has his hands in his face and tears rolling down his cheek. And as he's sitting there in that moment, there's this voice that begins to hover over him. And a hand that's placed on his shoulder and Austin looks up. One of the police officers is standing next to him. And the officer says, it's going to be all right, son. It's going to be all right. And into Austin's hands, the police officer sets a teddy bear. And I want to be clear. The teddy bear was not going to fix what was broken in Austin's family. But what it did do was it just brought a little bit of hope to what was a hopeless situation. Fast forward a few years later, and Austin's now in middle school. And by this point, he's realized that he's never going to get the attention from his parents that he really wanted. Not only is he disappointed, but even more so, he still feels the weight of that being his fault. And so maybe in an attempt to prove to himself his own worth or his own value, he started dating girl after girl after girl. And fortunately for Austin, he's pretty good with the ladies. And each of these relationships seems to patch over the pain, at least for a short time. But now he's got his his eyes on this one girl. But here's the thing. She's a church girl. And there's something just a little bit different about her. And she is not having it at all. So he devises this great plan that he's going to show up to her youth group. He's going to show up to church so that he can get this girl to like him. There's worse reasons to show up to church. So it's not a bad plan. So he goes for it. He shows up at church. He sees the girl. He sits down right next to her and he shoots his shot. He's laying on the charm and he gets absolutely shut down by this girl, full on rejected. No, no, no. Stop, stop feeling sorry for Austin in this story. Instead, let's hear it for the strong, independent Christian women who don't need a man's attention to know that they're loved. We have any of those in the house. Let's celebrate them right now. I love it. She shuts it down and everything begins to hit him like a ton of bricks. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but, but sometimes like small pains that you should be able to get over quickly, like a teeny bopper girl shutting you down, connect us to bigger wounds from our past. Sometimes things that we hear today remind us that we're a disappointment, connect us back to something that was done to us or by us. And for Austin, that's exactly what happened in that moment. As he sat there feeling the sting of rejection, the sting of not being good enough once again, he's immediately transported back to being that eight-year-old sitting in the police station Overcome by those feelings, Austin found the nearest corner of the church. He placed his hands over his face. He sat down in the chair and he began to cry, reliving each moment 
where he was reminded that his whole existence was a disappointment. He was alone and it was all his fault. And that's when he felt this voice begin to hover over him and a hand that was placed on his shoulder. Austin looked up and the face staring back at him was one that seemed familiar. The words were familiar as well. The, the voice said, it's all right, son. It's gonna be all right, son. In fact, it was the same police officer from all those years ago, but this time, instead of putting a teddy bear into Austin's hands, he put a Bible. That police officer's name was Jason Patrick. He was a dream team member from our church. He was a volunteer that gave up his time to invest in the lives of students. By the way, if you're someone that serves here, is on our dream team here, you may never know the impact you're making in someone's life. God used Jason to change Austin's life forever. See, he took Austin underneath his wing. He taught him that even though your earthly father may not be good enough, you've got a heavenly father that will always be there for you. He told him that God's not disappointing you. He's been desperately chasing after you. He can't wait to meet you, Austin. And a few weeks later, Austin gave his life to Jesus because he met Jesus that day. That's a lot of coincidences, except I don't, I don't know that our God is a God of coincidences. So I think that Jesus had a divine appointment to meet Austin that day, a moment that he had been setting up year after year prior. I think Jesus had a divine appointment set with Saul on the road to Damascus that day. And today for some of us in this room, I think God wants to have a divine appointment with you right here, right now in this space. And here's what he wants to tell you. He wants to say, it's gonna be all right, my son. It's gonna be all right, my daughter. He would say, he's not disappointed in you, but instead he's chasing after you. But we have a problem now. If those words, you're a disappointment, don't come from Jesus, where do they come from? Remember the title of this sermon is Stuff Jesus Never Said. Then who said it? Unfortunately, I think the answer is a little bit close to home. You're the one I'm thankful for. See, sometimes we, we hear the voice speaking to us and we don't hear that voice as well because the core voice that comes from within us is just a little bit louder. Sometimes the voice from inside of us is just a little bit easier to hear and trust. And if I'm honest, a little transparent with you guys, the most critical voice in my life isn't God's or even the voice of others. The voice of, shilt, of, of guilt and shame that, that tells me you'll never be good enough doesn't come from God. It, it comes from within. Sometimes the voice inside of our head is more believable than Jesus's voice. Another way of saying it is sometimes we trust our own words and the echoes of words spoken over us from our past more than Jesus's words. And I know I'm not alone in this because if you tore through the rest of the New Testament, you can see Paul struggling over and over and over again with his past. He's met Jesus. He's heard Jesus' words. He even writes in Romans 1, out of that meaning that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yet watch how he describes himself over and over again throughout his letters and in his sermons. In Acts 22, he says, I persecuted the followers of the way to death. Galatians 1, he says, I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Acts 22, 20, 
I stood there giving approval when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed. Acts 26, he says, I'm so obsessed with persecuting them, the church, that I even hunted them down. And then this last one, this last one just hit so hard. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I don't even deserve, I don't deserve to be called an apostle because of what I did. And all throughout his writings, you can see the guilt and the shame that he's just carrying on his back. You can see that his past mistakes are, are still plaguing him. They're following him around, reminding him over and over and over again that he's a disappointment. And maybe you're like me and this list of failures feels all too familiar. Maybe you walked in here with your own list. I let the people around me down. I lied. I crossed a line that I never should have crossed. I cheated. I drank too much. I hurt the people I love the most. I stabbed my friend in the back. I couldn't save my marriage. I yelled at my kids. I gave into that addiction again. I did the thing that I said that I would never do. I don't deserve to even be able to walk into this church. I am a disappointment. And the list can go on and on and on. A constant barrage from the voice inside of ourselves of stuff Jesus never said. And if that's you, I've got great news for you today. Our God rose from the dead. And that resurrection power is strong enough to break the chains that these lies have held over us. For far too long, they've had control. And today, we're going to take a stand and we're going to break free. We're going to choose the words Jesus did say over the stuff he never said. And here's what Jesus actually said. Here are the words that he actually spoke over us in John 8. Here's what he says. He says, if you hold to my teaching, if you hold to my words, you are really my disciple and then you will know the truth and watch this last part and the truth will do what? It's going to set you free. Jesus isn't mad at you. He wants to meet you and he wants to speak truth over you. He wants to set you free. And here's, I think the words that he would say, he would borrow some of Saul's, some of Saul's own words from Ephesians 2.10. And he would say this, he would say that we are God's, what? His masterpiece. Notice that he doesn't say that we are the product of our past. We're not the sum of what was said about us. One of the list of our mistakes and failures. You're not God's disappointment. You're God's masterpiece. Do you believe that today, Liquid Church? Because if you do, I love this part. You get to get to the second piece, which is that if you believe that you are God's masterpiece, then you'll also believe that he created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. I want to read that again. So that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. What that means is that when God sees you, he doesn't see where you are. He sees where, he sees where you're going to be. He doesn't count what you've done. He casts vision of what you will do. Another way of saying is that Jesus doesn't call us back to our mistakes. He calls us forward to our mission. And watch how this works. Saul came into the meeting with Jesus as a terrorist and he walked out a missionary. In fact, Jesus gave Saul a new identity and renamed him Paul. And the reason why we know so much about this man, Paul's life, is because he ends up being the writer of over two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. Paul went on to be the greatest missionary in Christian history. He planted churches across the entire known world. He went in front of every major judge and governor in the region, sharing the good news of a God that's not disappointed in us. And he eventually made it all the way to Rome. And more than likely, had the opportunity to share Jesus with Caesar himself, the most powerful man in the world. 
Jesus doesn't call us back to our mistakes. He calls us forward towards our mission. And I don't know what this mission looks like for you, but I do know this is something greater than you could possibly imagine. And I know this because I got to see it firsthand in Austin's life. About a week after Austin gave his life to Jesus, I had the honor of meeting him and actually baptizing him. Here's a picture of that day of his baptism day. Um, you can see a baby face Austin, much larger faced me um, in that picture. Uh, he's the one kind of in the middle in the back row there. It was one of the most beautiful days to be able to celebrate his baptism in front of his family and his friends. He met Jesus and it changed his life forever. What it didn't change though was his circumstances. His home was still unsafe, still unstable. And over the next 10 years after that photo was taken, Austin would go on to live with my wife and I off and on. Every night we always had a couch made for him. He had a key to our house. And when things at home started falling apart, he knew he had a family with us. After four or five years of Austin living with us around Christmas time during his senior year, my wife and I wanted to surprise him by including him in a family tradition. We had him jump in the car, but we didn't tell him where we were going. I remember looking in the rearview mirror behind me at his gleaming face, just absolutely filled with joy. I remember stopping at Starbucks on the way and ordering three hot cocoa with extra whipped cream. I remember pulling up to the Christmas tree lot to surprise Austin that he was going to be able to pick out our family tree for us that year. And I looked in the rearview mirror once more and the gleaming face was gone. The joy was gone. It had turned white and he was sitting there with his arms crossed. He refused to speak. He refused to go inside and I had no idea why crawled in the backseat of the truck with him. And as I did, I just watched the heaviest single tear roll down his eyes. And for the first time, I heard the story of an eight-year-old boy who threw tears in his eyes, saw a Christmas tree get knocked over, and his mother arrested on Christmas Day. And my eyes began to fill with tears too, and I sat and I listened as he told me that it was his fault as he told me that he was selfish, that he had begged his mom to go for the hot cocoa and that God had taken away his family because he was a disappointment. And my heart was just absolutely broken for this child that God had brought into my life as a son. And I looked him in the eyes with as much, as much intention as, as I could muster. I told him that should never have happened to you. It was not God's best for you. And then in one of the most spirit-filled moments, I said, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to get out of this car. We're going to walk into the Christmas tree lot with our hot cocoa, and we're going to pick out the biggest and the most expensive tree on the lot. We're going to take it home, and we're going to decorate it. And then I said, from now on, when you think about Christmas trees, you're not going to think about when you were eight years old. You're not going to think about a God that took your family away from you because he was disappointed in me, in you. You're going to think about that moment when you were 18 years old. And how this God, this heavenly father that was so much better than your earthly father, how he loved you so much that he gave you a new family. And then I said, one day, God's going to let you tell this story of this day. And it's going to set people free. And I looked him in the eye. I said, do you believe that, Austin? 
And he said, yes. And so we walked inside and we picked out the very best tree. And here's a picture of that day. It's one of my favorite pictures in my entire film. And practically every year since our family comes together, we get hot cocoa, we show up in the Christmas tree lot and we buy the biggest and the best tree they have. This last year, 2021, got extra special for us though because our family got a little bit bigger. Um, this year, Austin didn't get to pick out the tree. Uh, he gave the honors to our baby girl, Winter. And guess what? She picked out the very biggest tree on the lot too. Do you guys know how much a 14-foot Christmas tree in West Palm Beach in the middle of a pandemic cost? <laughs> it's worth every penny, though, because it's 14 feet of a reminder of a God who isn't mad at us, but rather will do anything to meet us. And now every year, Winter gets to hear and celebrate the story of how God brought her big brother into our family. Liquid, are you catching it? It's not enough just to hear Jesus' words. We have to daily make a commitment to listen to them, to trust them, to believe them over our own voice. It's something that we do over and over and over again. But here's the thing, Austin's story isn't done yet. Don't forget, God doesn't call us back to our mistakes. He calls us forward to our mission. And about 18 months ago, I walked into our youth room, our youth room at our church back in West Palm. There's hundreds of kids sitting in that room. And I look on stage and sure enough, their youth pastor, Austin, was standing up there. Yeah, he became a pastor. And sure enough, he was telling a story. The kid loves telling stories. I just, I don't know where he gets it from. He told the story of an eight-year-old who through tears in his eyes saw a tree fall and his mom arrested. He told the story of an eight-year-old who felt like a major and an absolute disappointment mistake and how that eight-year-old just felt unlovable. And then he did something bold. He asked every single kid in the room if they've ever felt that way too. Has anyone else felt like their disappointment? And slowly but surely, every single hand in the room was raised up. Look what every word matters. These words that we believe matter, not just for us, but for the next generation. And then I watched as Austin began to share the story of a new family that God had given him. He told these students that God would do anything to meet them. And then he gave each of those students an opportunity to meet Jesus. And I stood in the back of the room and bawled like an embarrassingly proud dad. And I watched 50 students give their life to Jesus Watch 50 students believe the words Jesus actually said. And I watched 50 students receive freedom from the lies of this world. I'm not sure what your mission looks like. It may not look like becoming the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. It may not look like Christmas trees and students, but I do know this. God wants to use you to do something special. He's not disappointed in you. You're his masterpiece. He's watching you like a proud dad, cheering you on for all the good works that he has planned in advance for you to accomplish. Today, we're drawing lines in the sand. Today, we're going to grab onto Jesus's words and we're going to reject the stuff that Jesus never said. Will you pray with me right where you're at? 
Jesus, we thank you that you're not mad at us, that you want to meet us. We pray that we would hear your words through this series, that you would speak to us, that we wouldn't have itching ears to hear what we want to hear, but that we would actually hear you and what you want to speak to us. We pray as we walk in this place that we would know that we are not a disappointment, but that we are your masterpiece and that you created us to do good things, to do great things, to do powerful things in this world. We pray that you would empower us to do that as we leave this place. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone says, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.